Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. This is Dr. Candice Pierce with Elite Learning by Calibri Healthcare, and you're listening to our Elite Learning Podcast, where we share the most up-to-date education for healthcare professionals. Thank you for joining us for this podcast series topic, Navigating Delegation, Balancing Responsibility and Collaboration. For this topic, I am joined by Dr. Jane Stowe, a registered nurse and a jurist doctor, and I'm really looking forward to that legal and that nursing specific expertise that you're gonna be able to bring to help us understand how to delegate appropriately and how to protect ourselves and our license. So thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Okay, this is great to be here. I appreciate it. It's such high billing. I hope I can live up to that. <laughs> oh, for sure. I know you can. Um, so today we're going to talk about delegation and really why that's so important to understand what we can delegate and what we can't delegate and the different roles that play into a healthcare team. And I know for me teaching uh, in nursing school and undergrad and um you know, I really didn't feel that when they came out of school that nursing students really understood the differences between the roles and what they could and could not delegate and who was responsible for what. So can you kind of help us understand why we need to understand what we can and can't delegate and the roles, the different roles of our healthcare team? So there's a couple of overarching reasons why this is important. Let's set aside the right thing for the right patient. Let's set aside that because that's always the most important thing and keep the patient in the center uh, of the care. Really, delegation kind of boils down to a couple of things. One, uh, licensure, regulation, and two, legally uh, malpractice, malpractice uh, really known more so as negligence. So when you consider why delegation of duties is important, one, um, you know, Joint Commission um, is one of, is the largest certifying body in the U.S. for hospitals. Uh, there are others, uh, ISO nine thousand. Uh, there are are different things that you have to be certified. Basically, uh, CMS or Centers for Medicare and Medicaid state that you have to be licensed by someone. Okay, Joint Commission just happens to be the biggest and the most talked about. And Joint Commission will survey for CMS, okay? Their trainers, their surveyors are trained, and they'll come in and and survey for that. So um, delegation-wise, if you get certain findings that are not uh, outlined, requested, or approved by CMS, such as, uh, we'll throw out there, LPNs are conducting the initial assessment or are administering blood product. Doing those two things. Well, CMS, uh, through Joint Commission, can find condition level findings. And if they're egregious enough, then they can uh, pull your license, right? They can pull your, basically, a s- acceptance or approval to receive uh, CMS funding. And that is uh, reimbursement for services to Medicare and Medicaid patients. Right. Now, why is that impactful? 
anywhere from 50 to 60% of our patients today receiving care are have this insurance. They have Medicare and Medicaid, right? No entity, no business can afford to survive when 50% of your clientele don't pay for anything, right? Right. Think of it another way. You own a car dealership, 100 people come in there, 50 of them drive off the lot with a car, don't pay for it. You go out of business. So it's very impactful that way. The second way is legally. We as healthcare providers have a legal responsibility. We have a duty, right? We have a duty to care for the patients that we were assigned and trained and educated to take care for. That part, that duty um, can be breached. And if if you breach that duty, which is uh, for the RN, for example, you're responsible for performing the primary assessment and you're responsible for administering blood. The LPN, in turn, can do subsequent assessments uh, on that patient to monitor that patient, take vital signs, uh, assess for redness, particularly neck redness or anything of those nature, ringing of the ears, to monitor to see if there is a blood transfusion reaction occurring. But they can't do the initial one. So if we allow the LPN to do that, we have breached our duty. And if the patient has a uh, poor outcome, then we can be liable for that. So that liability uh, can be extreme uh, and can be very expensive in court. So delegation of duty, while it seems a very simple thing, and it's something in schools we are taught, oh, you're going to have people that help you do these things. Right. We kind of leave it at that. We don't really go into defining what they can do, what they can't do. I think it's what they see people delegate in clinical. Yeah, it's not really, this is what you can and can't do. It's more of like, oh, well, I see that they delegate their glucose or I see that they delegate their vital signs. And so it's kind of when they come out, they know that those are two, at least two of the things that I can delegate. Right, right. And our systems that are out there right now, our, our certifying bodies, um, states and otherwise, just aren't clear. They just aren't clear on this. And it just adds layers upon layers of complexity and quite frankly, confusion. Absolutely. I want, to, I want to start from the top of leadership um, and kind of work our way down as far as delegation. And one of the things that you will hear, chief nursing officers, or um, sometimes they're called directors of nursing, but you know that top nurse in an organization, and you will say, they work under my license. Okay. Well, we all know that if you're an RN or an LPN, you have your own license, right? So can you kind of help clarify, what does that mean when you hear that head nurse say, they work under my license? So it kind of stems from a couple of things. And most importantly, it stems from, uh, we mentioned the certifying agencies, Joint Commission and CMS, or Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. CMS has conditions of participation that you will hear of. And there's thousands of things. And you will hear in the healthcare setting, hey, Joint Commission has a rule for this, and Joint Commission has a rule for that. Joint Commission has very few rules. Right. Joint Commission has uh, recommendations which says, you need a policy. And we gave an example, and I'll stick with the same example. Joint and you follow will, your policy. <laughs> Joint Commission <laughs> will say, you have to have a policy governing the administration of blood because we feel that that's best practice, that you have a defined policy. They don't tell you what that policy is. The hospital then has to develop a policy, and then the hospital has to adhere to it. So the, the big, big irony in, in the big surveys is 
Joint Commission will come in and say, can I see your policy? And then they audit you for following your own policies, to which many times you fail. Well, it's kind of a kick in the pants because you developed it, you educated to it, and if you don't follow what you say you're going to do. Right. So delegation is uh, very, very similar uh, to that. And while you have all this delegation, you know, RNs, LPNs, what the Joint Commission really says is, while you delegate and do all these things, and there's this, this policies and procedures of practice, we need someone that can sign off. Who's saying this is best practice? This is what nursing should do. So in short, all the nurses in your facility may have a dotted line all the way up to the, the CNO. They do. So for example, if your OR, it's very uh, in vogue today that your surgery swing OR area report to your COO from an operational standpoint versus directly to the CNO. So they don't report to the CNO, but all those nurses have a dotted line to the CNO because he or she is going to define quality and best practices of nursing care within the surgery department, even though it reports under an operational sector. So it's really a reporting structure and someone that is deemed the expert in that field, helping to define what is allowed in that field. So if a nurse makes a mistake, which license is the most at risk? So first and foremost, the nurse making the mistake is at risk. They're the individual that, uh, that messed up. Secondly, where it gets interesting is, um, you know, hospitals typically will support a nurse when there's legal action. Specifically, uh, or realistically, hospitals will support you so long as you followed hospital policy and procedure. If you did not follow hospital policy and procedure, you acted on your own and away from what the CNO said you should do. So you didn't follow the CNO's direction. So the CNO typically- Which is your policy, right? So which is the your CNO's policy. directive, so they have delegated through a policy. Exactly, what you're going to do. And if you don't follow that, the CNO eh, can't really be held responsible. She'll get some blame, but the true liability lies with that front, front uh, line staff member. And so you then have to go into all this, you know, how clear are the policies? Right. Um, are they intentionally vague? Right. We have a habit of that. That's a whole other discussion that we can get into. But uh, policies are very difficult to follow at times. And they very rarely, if at all, want to talk about delegation specifically because if I define specifically in a policy, RN does A. LPN does B, CNA does C. I get to court and the LPN is kind of prepping. I call it creep, where your your actions kind of go outside of what your purview, what your responsibility is, and they kind of creep over into somebody else's scope of practice. If you do that, well, you have carte blanche just uh, violated that policy, right? Because you have right. an outline. So for the most part, hospitals, even if the CNO wants to delineate that and make it very clear, risk management, legal team kind of step in and say, eh, let's rethink this and uh, make it a little yeah. more vague. 
Yeah. So now you're the front. Now you, you take that and you're the frontline staff member and go, wait a minute, this doesn't clear anything up. Right. So how much more confused are you now? <laughs> what did I do wrong? I don't understand. I tried to follow. Uh, okay, so we we started at the top. So now we know that the 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 big nurse, the the chief nursing officer, they're going to set the delegation through policies. Or I know in a facility I worked at, they kept changing all of our policies to guidelines. So guidelines are also being used. And you know, you that's, have something to say. that's that's um, it's a ploy. Um, so when we talk about a ploy. Um, so uh, attorneys historically will say in a, in a legal action, give me all your policies and procedures that govern anything related to this. And hospitals have to turn those over. We, that is a discoverable evidence that has to be turned over. They still use that verbiage. So hospitals are trying to say, hey, it's a guideline. Um, and so they don't turn over those quote unquote guidelines, which are policies and procedures. Now, that being said, we talked about how they're not, they're vague to begin with because we don't, we try to steer clear from defining things for legal action. Now take it a step, a second step. And now we've all, we've, we've labeled it a guideline, which doesn't mean you have to adhere Follow to a hundred percent Yes, because it's just simply a guideline. It may be best practice, but you're not saying it's policy and that's the way we expect it to happen. You're saying it's a guideline and it should happen this way. That doesn't clear anything up for the front line. Mm-mm. Not at all. They were further confused. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So starting at the top. Now let's move into your bedside staff and, and look at the roles that are that, that we know these are the roles for the LPN, the RN, the CNA. Absolutely. Um, very important roles. Um, and I think if you look back in history, these roles, you know, typically started with a nurse. We started with a nurse. And I think as things became more complicated, as we had more patients and more formal uh, responsibilities, that uh, we, we started adding layers of assistance uh, to the nurse, keeping the nurse kind of the uh, be-all, end-all bedside personnel. Right. Okay. That's really um, represented in their roles, the roles of the RN is kind of the, the patient uh, coordinator of care. They do, you can kind of think of them as a team leader. They, they, they uh, if you go back to nursing school and think of those old care plans, they, <laughs> you, you have to think through all the steps, right? You have to do right. the assessment and, and uh, but possible diagnoses that you need to work under, expected outcomes and interventions and rationales, uh, and evaluated your ongoing, ongoing assessments. So they do all of that. Then you think about LPNs, um, they're really more responsible for monitoring, assessing. They, they do have some uh, kind of patient care tasks that they can do, specifically vital signs, uh, some simple uh, dressing changes, things along those lines. But they're really um, the eyes and ears uh, of the RN. They're really the eyes and ears, ongoing assessment, uh, so the RN can, can make uh, kind of that coordination of care the CNA really is more of a way more of a basic uh, care provider. Um, CNAs, when I say basic care provider, don't don't misunderstand me. They're invaluable. Uh, they are yes. CNA, CNAs that 
can assess patients way better than you think and can and if you have good communication a good relationship with them and great teamwork they can come and tell you hey this patient's doing this 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 they weren't doing that yesterday and they can give you the heads up to find stuff out um but they do things along the lines of if you think activities of daily living right yeah eating and bathing and getting dressed um they can do some range of motion exercises and um, some transferring uh, of folks, but really uh, your basic care, basic mobility and, and functioning. And so, so there's three different roles um, and they all have to work in conjunction uh, when you have them available. And it can be done, but you have to have clear communication and great teamwork. So we have three different roles, but we also have three different levels of education, right? Correct. All three uh, are very different. You know, you look at the RN and you, you have tr- two traditional pathways. You have a four-year degree, a bachelor's uh, of nursing degree. You have a two-year degree, which is an associate's of nursing degree. Um, and then you look at the LPN, and that's traditionally a one-year degree, one-year education. Uh, both of them have to take the, and I get this wrong every time, so I, I like to say it, the National the, Council the of NCLEX. Licensure Exam. <laughs> The NCLEX. So, so much easier to say NCLEX. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but they both have to take that exam and pass. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the education part. They then have to um, submit their passage, which is done electronic, but you have to submit your passage, pay a little fee, and all this kind of good stuff to get a license to practice nursing in the state that you practice. Right. Every state is different. The fee for every state is different. The process for every state is different. But the nuts and bolts of it is pay a fee, submit your application, it's reviewed, you get a license. And I just think it's so important to kind of point this out. And I know that, you know, our main audience, you are usually nurses, but sometimes physicians listen to our podcasts and um, CNAs, LPNs. Um, You can also have therapists that listen to, to our podcasts. And so I want them to really kind of understand the difference between each of these roles. But what's really important for nurses and for CNAs to know, let's get into that. And and that is, the first one I wanna ask is, um, who sets the scope of practice for each of these roles? And if you are a travel nurse, you know they have travel LPNs, travel RNs, we have travel CNAs. Um, who sets the standard and the practice? For each of these roles, so that's the fun part. It varies <laughs> uh, greatly. You know, when you when you talk regulating bodies, kind of uh, determining who can do what, uh, it starts. Uh, the easy one is RNs, LPNs, is your state board nurse, right? That's right. Your, your state board of nursing. Um, but your state board of nursing is is typically going to shy away. They're a little bit like the joint commission that we mentioned earlier. They're going to shy away from your specific. You can do this. You can do that. State boards of nursing are really more concerned in the safe practice of care. Right? They want to they regulate the safe practice of care. They don't want to regulate how you actually practice it or provide the care. So then you get into who really regulates the practice, and that's going to be the institution, the hospital, the company that, that you work for. They really set those things out. Now, when they set those out, who do they kind of glean their, who do they get their marching orders from, or who do they have to incorporate. Um, State board. All they, of it. No? Joint well, commission? Joint commission. Centers of Medicaid. Am I getting it right? CMS, Centers of- absolutely. <laughs> you have your state departments of health that will weigh in. You have yeah. the DEA will, re- will weigh in on how you 
uh, handle your medications. Um, you'll even have your EPA uh, come in. How do you how do you handle your waste? Um, it, it's there's varying. I mean, and that's just very topical. So you have all of these things to take into consideration of who regulates. Uh, when you talk about CNAs, uh, that that really is more varying state to state than the nursing is. Right? There's always a state board of nursing stereotypically. CNA licenses. I live in Alabama. Uh, State Department of Health uh, regulates ours. In Florida, Board of Nursing, just did a quick search. In Georgia, Department of Community Health. So a lot of the, they're all regulating bodies, have a healthcare component, but they're all different. So you just have to look that up. And then uh, Georgia's, their practice, the CNAs, same thing. All the same, same uh, folks, Joint Commissions, the CMSs, all the other departments, all the three-letter people out there. So when you mentioned traveling, yeah, I was going to say, so if I'm traveling, I mean, where do I live? I mean, it is it is incredibly difficult. It really is. And it's, you know, many times when you go travel, you kind of operate on a wing and a prayer. And the reason I say that is, is you are deemed competent in your field of practice, uh, skills, evaluation-wise, um, but that doesn't mean you know the policies and procedures and the laws of the state that you're going into. So really and truly, the entity and corporation that you go to really needs to be um, forthcoming and provide you with any nuances. Some hospital systems that have the manpower, that have this delineated, do a phenomenal job. That's few and far between. Most people don't have a plethora of personnel that can simply look up Oh, you happen to be coming from Massachusetts to come work down here in Alabama. What are the differences? That's a very difficult thing to to figure out nuance-wise. Right. And so many, many times it just doesn't happen. And that's where the healthcare personnel really has to speak up and say, hey, this is one of those hot, hot topics. This is one of those things that people talk a lot about. This is where I can do back home. What can you do here? And if you're able to do that, most of the time, you're, you're okay, all right? Yeah. You'll, you'll have people yeah. that can tell you. Uh, if you don't speak up, yeah. good luck. Wow. And that, that seems very difficult. Um, I want to take, so before I started nursing school, before I graduated, you know, because I'm, I'm so much younger now, it's okay. <laughs> but, it was, team nursing was gone. Team nursing was gone. I don't know if team nursing was still here when you got out, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, I remember whenever I was probably about two years into my nursing career, I was on a, it was a cardiac floor and they had one LPN left on the floor and I was told she was grandfathered in after they made the floor you know, just RN. So this, it was a magnet facility I was in, a cardiac floor all RNs, one LPN left. Um, but I remember it was not team nursing. And I actually did not look, I loved her as a person, but I did not enjoy working with the LPN part of it. And I'll explain why. Uh, I had my full load. She had her full load. There was just two of us. So I had to go assess all of her patients. If she got a new patient, I had to assess the new patient first. I had to sign off all of her orders. And being a cardiac floor, there were certain medications she couldn't give. So I would have to go assess that patient and give that medication. 
and I would have to sign off on all of her assessments that she had done on patients where, you know, and, she, and they always did RN, LPN, then the next shift, it would be another RN. So, you know, they would, they would do that. But it, it put more work on me as an RN, trying to take care of the same load that she was taking care of. So I found that really difficult. But through COVID, I, I've looked at team nursing, and it just makes more sense. Team nursing does. And how does that look? You know, when we take a step back and look at what we traditionally have today, we have on most floors within hospitals, we have nursing and we have uh, CNAs or techs and we have respiratory therapists, we have um, physical therapists that come in and pharmacists. And and whether we believe it or not, that's team nursing. Right, because at the end of the day, we're taking care of patients. And I know we can get the semantics of it's not nursing, it's it's therapy and yada yada. Right, but it's a team approach. Okay, and the typically the only thing that's missing out of that today is the LPN versus the RN. There was a big the a big move away from LPNs within the hospital system, and you, and you kind of alluded to it earlier when um, hospitals. After the the eighties and nineties, uh, when there was uh, high litigation and some rather large verdicts that came out, it was this move away from LPNs in the hospital because uh, when they looked at outcomes uh, and studies of facilities, those with R- more RNs per capita had better outcomes. And I don't think it's a stretch to think that. Um, if I've got a four-year degree, if I've been studying nursing for four years um, versus one year, that I'm going to have more knowledge on the on the on the uh, practice of nursing. I mean, right. I don't think that's a stretch. No, so I don't. I don't think that is intended to um, uh, kind of insult anybody. I think that's just reality. If I practice skills for versus one, I expect to be better at those skills. Right. If you're better at something, you have better outcomes. Okay. So, and that's, that's that arching band. So then you have this move based off of that research that says, we can give you certain statuses, you know, certain awards. Magnet is one of those. And the one of the original levels for magnet was you had to be 80% RN. Right. And then they, they've kind of upped it and they've changed it from two year to four year and the percentages and, and all that. But at the end of the day, Magnet is able to tout, we have better outcomes. Okay. Well, it all comes back to the core training and core education. I believe you have more education, more training. Magnet also requires more ongoing training, right? So if you, you come out better prepared and you have even further education and ongoing training and, and furthering skills, uh, 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 training and where you, you get, gain more knowledge, you're going to be better at your craft. Right. Don't care if you're a mechanic. If that's the case, it's the same thing. You know, a welder with six months experience and a welder with six years experience, which one's better? Stereotypically, the six years. Right. So we've moved to that direction and it was a goal that, um, you know, at the end of the day, better outcomes, everybody wants that. I mean, everybody does. It's just how you achieve it. Um, it's been very difficult for many, many hospitals that are not in a university setting or associated in large cities because there's not enough 
actual RNs around to get to that total uh, right. number that is required. So while we um, official team nursing wasn't out, had been gone by the time I can enter the workforce, yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, when you look at the the number of nursing openings we have across this country, what we're projected to do, the the care that is needed down the road, um, that team nursing approach, whether it's hospital wide or simply for certain areas, uh, for example. Just med surge, for example, maybe not in an ICU. It is becoming in vogue to look at that and to evaluate it and see if that is something we can do. Because at the end of the day, we have a responsibility to provide care. Right. And if we don't have the individuals that can provide care, we're in trouble. We're in trouble as a society. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's it's so important to understand delegation, to understand how team that the team perspective works for nursing, it's the understanding of what you can do in your role versus what I can do in my role and how that help, how we help each other. Um, I think that that is the, the core piece of it. And when team nursing went away and it became just RNs, back then the nurse wasn't carrying all the hats they're carrying today. So not only did they get rid of the team approach that they had back then between nurses, they got they added on all of these other hats. And they're still expecting the same outcome as to the reason why, like you were saying, they got rid of team work, they got rid of team nursing for because if they had more RNs, then they had higher patient outcomes. Well, you have more RNs, and I, I just wonder if we still have the same patient outcomes that they were going for. I dare say it's not improved. And I think one of the biggest issues that you have here is um, it's very rare that we sit back and evaluate the nurse's workflow at the bedside. If you take the med surge nurse, which is by far there's more med surge nurses across the country than there are any other. I mean, that's the majority of units within a hospital. If you take the average med surge nurse, they have six patient, patient load. If they go through and they make an assessment of every, all six patients and document that every morning, it's a couple hours. If they, they're going to discharge three patients. So you got to discharge, that's another hour apiece. I'm in the ER. I am burning your phone up trying to get patients up because I've got another 50 in the lobby I'm trying to see. So you barely get somebody out the door before I've got one in the hallway waiting for environmental services to clean the room, to put in that room for you to get right back to work. And now you've got another hour of assessing them and documenting and doing a database, if not more, for each patient. You've got three med passes uh, a day. That's assuming that no PRNs are given. Right. Um, and all of a sudden, you, it's a 12-hour shift. You haven't, you haven't eaten. If you need to use a restroom, you haven't done that. You, yeah. haven't made the, you haven't even done rounds with the doctor. You haven't given any PRN medications. You haven't answered a single call light, and there's no time in the day. So what do you cut out? If, if you cut out, you've got to cut out something. Uh, what corner do you cut? You know? yeah. And so 
we talk about delegation and talk about these things, but if the staff isn't there and it's you just our end, the only thing that happens is we shortchange our service. The patient no longer is the center of care and we, we don't answer a call line. We are slow at turning the patient, right? Right. All of these things have potentially horrible side effects, right? We as hospitals, we, we institute these no-pass zones, you know, where we're going to do the right thing. And whether you're a dietary or security guard or, or environmental services, if somebody, you see a call light, a, a light blinking in the hall, you go in that room and you help answer the call. Well, I'm environmental services and I've got 40 rooms to clean. And now I'm supposed to take on the nurse's responsibility and go and stop and do that. It creates some really ill temperamented individuals um, doing this because everybody is stretched. And so we have these great ideas, but at the end of the day, if we truly want to keep the patients in center of care and have positive outcomes, we're going to have to consider team nursing. It's just inevitable. And the sooner we consider it, the sooner we implement it, the better patient outcomes are going to be. And I would dare say those patient outcomes are going to start rivaling some of the historical ones we've seen with just all nursing units. Right. Well, and unfortunately, there's so much to talk about, but we've come to the end of our time for episode one. Um, please join us for episode two, where we're going to continue to talk about the uh, art of delegation, scope of practice, strategies for effective team communication, as well as the critical elements of effective delegation. So thank you so much, Jay, for joining us for episode one, and uh, we'll get right into episode two. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.